This is a production of Cornell University. Yeah, uh, welcome everybody. This is the 13th episode of our spring series, the Cornell Turf Show. Fastest 30 minutes in turf. We've been keeping it condensed and, and getting you guys all the information in a timely, fanner, in a timely manner here uh, for the springtime. Our guest today is going to be Dr. Leah Brillman of DLF Pixseed, a uh, real seed guru. We're excited to talk about bentgrass seed in the springtime, uh, a topic of conversation whenever we get around uh, with superintendents in our Northeast region here. Uh, but as always, we'll, we'll get started today with uh, Frank Rossi, a little overview of our last week. You know, Frank, it seems like every time we, we do one of these webinars on Thursday and Friday, we've got snow out for whatever reason. Uh, so we've really had these uh, stops and starts to the fall. Um, I'm sure you'll talk about that in a little bit. But uh, as always, you got a, a cool little image here. Bring it, bring yeah, our yeah. pals to work, it looks like. Yeah, that's right. And, and you know, uh, whether it's... Uh, bringing your pal to work uh, in the shop or bringing your kid to golf. Uh, I, we ha I have a former employee and colleague who uh, took a picture of this on the golf course and said, Carl, this is going to be you pretty soon uh, with the stroller out there and the kid practicing uh, your putting. So, so uh, always a good way to start. The equipment is starting to show up uh, on golf courses where everybody's uh, bragging on their big stuff and, and a big old mower. Uh, like that always makes a, a, a golf guy uh, all happy. And of course, uh, Leah in the Northeast girl, we're starting to rip it up. Uh, this is a pretty standard scene around a lot of the uh, golf courses, which is, I have to say, a bit funny to me sometimes because I feel like sometimes, uh, like on the bottom left here, you see a picture that Steve Cook uh, tweeted uh, from Medina. And I've been on those greens and I can tell you, sometimes they look absolutely perfect and you wonder, what the hell are they doing this for? They're absolutely perfect, and they're making a mess of them. So listen, Carl, before we get into our little weather update and a little chat with Leah, why don't you start a little bit with the tip of the day and remind everybody, this is brought to you by our project uh, with the Rochester Institute of Technology, the environmental results program that's focused on improving uh, BMP adoption uh, in New York State, particularly west uh, of I-81. Um, there's a website you can go to to learn more, and, and Carl's got a poster uh, that he uh, received in the mail that everybody who's part of this west of I-81 should have gotten in the golf business. If you didn't, reach out to Carl, and if you'd like one, you can go to that website and grab one. And so, Carl, the topic for today is spot treating, but, you know, because we were struggling uh, a bit to know what kind of conversation we'd have, we probably would throw in uh, selecting good varieties as well. But let's talk about spot treating today. Yeah, so, you know, one, one of the aims of this poster is, of course, create awareness of best management practices to reduce our resource use. And spot treating is probably the best way you're going to get to reducing uh, pesticide use. This also could be applied to fertilizer. You see in our poster, it's on the pest section. But um, really applying pesticides only, only to the places you need them. So uh, we actually saw a recent article in the USJ Green section uh, this is from uh, Superintendent Andrew Jorgensen uh, down there in Ocala, Florida, and they have a, a problem. I think it's pine pine needle grubs or a certain insect pest. Uh, and what he's got is a real simple solution. Instead of applying that insecticide to the entire property, when he's out there scouting, he's got his utility cart and a and a spreader, just a small spreader on the back of the of that cart. Whenever he sees uh, grubs, whenever he scouts in a certain area, he can just apply only the amount that's necessary instead of going across you know, 20, 30 acres of, of fairway or rough area. Uh, and, and another reason to spot treat it, you know, we, we see this uh, out in Wisconsin, Madison, Paul Koch is 
partner with the folks at the University Ridge Golf Course there uh, and putting weather stations on two different fairways and seeing that consistently one fairway is 15% is lower in the Smith Kearns dollar spot pressure than another area. And what does that say? You know, that, that could be the difference between treating that ninth fairway, uh, you know, two or three times less over the course of the year than a, that 18th fairway. So again, reducing our acreage that we're treating, lowering those, uh, the overall pesticide use. And of course that lowers your budget and the labor time to spray these areas too. So being a little bit more strategic in these spot treatment methods when we're thinking about pesticides. We've talked about this with fertilizer and, and uh, growth rate uh, earlier in our, our spring series, but uh, just a, a really excellent way to reduce your pesticide use and be really targeted. And no doubt, Carl, because, you know, we really have the technology there both to collect the data and to make the application, right? So let's start out with uh, some of the weather data that drives some of the decisions that we're making. And this tends to be a popular conversation um, among golf course superintendents at this time for root pathogens. As we've talked about, we had John, Johnny Inguijado with us uh, a couple of weeks ago talking about root pathogens and timing it for soil temperatures and, and making effective applications. And you can see when you get down into the metropolitan New York area, we're getting pretty warm soils now. I think they're pretty good uh, estimation that we're going to stall a little bit for the weekend, uh, but soon uh, start to see warming up. And, and our, our weather guru, Art Gaitano on the conference call this morning uh, said clearly that we can put a fork in the winter and we're going to hold them to that uh, after this coming weekend. We should be done with it uh, and turning the corner and warming up, uh, moving on forward. Now, the interesting thing about the season so far is uh, just this last week, we got a nice patch of rainfall and it mostly fell where it was needed the most. If you look at the drought map on the right, you can see the, uh, the southeastern New England and Massachusetts uh, up into Vermont. Uh, now, New Hampshire and Maine, not so much, but certainly a little that, you know, up the, up the Connecticut River Valley and along the coast by the Cape, Long Island got some rain. Uh, this helped some of the drier areas uh, that are already happening throughout the Northeast. Now, the other thing you're going to notice uh, is, is what, something we talked about again this morning on our conference call is how the growing season now stalls and how this sort of give, informs us about the things we target. You know, uh, one thing, for example, is uh, crabgrass emergence and forsythia bloom. You know, Rich Buckley was talking this morning with us saying, you know, I got half green, half gold out, you know, near my house. Uh, and I think I'm starting to see uh, the growing degree day model is indicating that the annual bluegrass weevil adults should be moving and wondering if people are looking. You know, we're quite a bit ahead last week, and now it looks like we're getting close to normal. And, you know, you can accumulate quite a bit of degree days uh, in one day uh, in the spring. So you want to be careful, get out there, keep looking. It's good to have the data, but it's also good to go take a look. Well, speaking of having to take a look, there was one particular thing that Rich mentioned this morning that seemed to be coming into the lab a little bit more than normal. And I think you could say it has something to do with the slow growth rate, and that is brown ring patch or whiteia, right? The whiteia patch that's come on and become, you know, a lot of people think a cosmetic problem for the most part, but when you look at the ridges of this particular pathogen, you can see in many cases, let me just draw a little, let me get my pen here, and you can see right along, for those of you watching live or watching the recording, for those of you on the podcast, 
I can't help you with this sometimes, but we think we still want you to hear this. When you look along the edge of the ring, sometimes you'll see pitting. You can almost see it in this one picture here where it starts to really decline, gets a little pitted and can affect ball roll a little bit. So obviously top dressing can help with this because the grass will recover from it. And some of the issue uh, is related to the slowing of growth. You know, whether you're slowing of growth because you're drier or you're slowing of growth because you're cooler, the Waitia patch on putting green seems to be increasing. Now, the way to approach this from my perspective is first to, you know, decide, well, with warm weather coming and, you know, maybe my growth regulators are wearing off and obviously your growth regulator program could be impacting this because slower growing uh, plants are going to have a bigger problem with this. You can go to the UW website, which has this really nice, uh, it basically takes the, uh, you know, the uh, turf grass diseases thing that's come from uh, Paul Vincelli at Kentucky. And now Bruce Clark and Paul uh, are involved, uh, involved in this and, and it's online. So you can type in Brown ring patch and get this particular uh, web, go to this particular website, type in Brown ring patch, and you get a collection of products that, that provide control. Now, I looked at this in, in the publication itself. And what I noticed from looking through here, you know, three is, you know, there's efficacy, right? It means it's pretty good. It's been shown in research. Uh, but the A uh, uh, superscript indicates a lot of these are two double E values. So, you know, they work and they're special labels for your state. You can write a, a two double E exemption for some products if they show efficacy, but it's not necessarily on the label. And of course this, applies uh, federally as well as, as it, particularly here in New York State. But one of, the, one of the products I want to draw your attention to is Affirm or Polyoxin. We've had a very effective control with this, and I think Andy Wilson would say that uh, from some of our work at Beth Page. Uh, we've had really good effective control with that product. But the other thing I want to draw your attention to is when you get into these combination products, right, you may have uh, a product that has some efficacy, you know, efficacy by itself, but then, you know, is it in the combination at the same rate? Make sure you're looking at some of these things if you choose, if you choose to make an application for this particular package. Okay, so the topic for today, and I'm gonna set you up, uh, I'm gonna set you up, Lee, as good as I can do it, right? We're gonna talk about bent grass and I'm gonna bring up traffic tolerance. I'm gonna bring up, you know, the pressure that golf is under. This is rounds of golf after, the pandemic, you can see year over year, month to month, month to month, we were seeing big, big surges uh, in uh, play uh, throughout the country. And I think you know this as well as I do that play is relentless, right? You start to see where play gets focused on putting greens right around the cup. And then this is, and I flew through that, but now I'll go a little slower, right? This is the growth rate, uh, you know, proposed by uh, Turgeon and Vargas a number of years ago, uh, you know, in their POA annua book. And at the same time, they suggest a growth uh, cycle like this for creeping bent grass. And it, you know, it suggests that it, you know, comes on, you know, these are a little bit disjointed here, but essentially this is suggesting that grow, active growth, top growth anyway, doesn't really ensue on the bent grasses until much later in the spring, certainly compared to POA annua. 
Now, Leah, uh, Carl's been playing around with this in our research program with Dave Hicks, our golf course superintendent here at Cornell. And we took a, a shaded green that was a lot of annual bluegrass and compared it to a wide open green that had a lot more creeping bent grass. Uh, and we were collecting clippings throughout the year. And rather than trust that, you know, prescribed growth cycle, you know, Carl uh, and Dave and the staff were collecting clippings. And the blue line here is the poannual green. And the red line here uh, is the creeping bent grass green. And so you can see there clearly are times uh, when you get a little more growth uh, than others, but it also doesn't seem to follow the exact uh, pattern that they showed uh, in those graphics, Leah. So, so when we measure these things, we do see some advantage to annual bluegrass at certain times, and we also see some advantage to uh, creeping bent grass at certain what times cultivar? relative to growth rate. What cultivar? Well, okay, what, yeah, yeah. Th these are really old bent pole greens. You set me up perfectly, because <laughs> now it becomes a broader discussion, right? And I'm just showing this picture to show and say. There are very big differences uh, between these cultivars. And I didn't pick any of these pictures with any particular intent involved, just to say, as you just said, cultivars make a difference. And I wanna draw attention to this, not just for putting greens, Leah, but Carl has been thinking about this a lot for fairway selection about uh, bent grass resist, you know, dollar spot resistant varieties and the value that they can bring uh, to an operation. And so if you look at the Smith-Kearns model, Carl took the data and put it out over nine growing seasons, and you set their threshold of 20% where you start to have to worry or may, might probably trigger your spraying for dollar spot. And then you say, well, if I got a resistant variety, maybe I don't see dollar spot until it's about 40% uh, on the Smith-Kearns model. And I think James Hempfling uh, might've done, and you may be privy to some of this, they might have done some of this work at Rutgers with some of these varieties with they're the Smith Kearns. They've done some and they're, they're doing more. Yeah. And um, using threshold models, you having a dollar spot resistant variety, in some years you could reduce the number of sprays you needed by, well, say you only needed 0.5%. 